Hi, I'm Terry O'Reilly, founder of OBP Australia, a service for overseas-born professionals looking to either get their first job in Australia or advance their career once they're established in their profession. Welcome to the podcast. Each episode, I'll be talking to an ex-OBP Australia client who's been successful in finding employment in Australia. We'll get to hear about their journey and what advice they have for job seekers. Irfan is a senior delivery lead, a digital transformation leader and board director of PMI Melbourne Chapter. With experience in both agile and traditional delivery methods and a pragmatic approach to change, he's worked across industries including retail, financial services, fintech, consulting, health, insurance, government and automotive. Arriving in Australia in 2015, Already with significant experience overseas, his career has flourished in a series of impressive leadership roles. Irfan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Terry. Pleasure. Now, we first met in 2015. I think that's right? Yep, that's right. So take yourself back to when you first arrived about seven years ago and tell us about those first few weeks or months. Um, yeah, sure. So I, I landed in Australia in 2015. I think it was the month of June, winter, um, straight coming from extreme heat. <laughs> so that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, but then I had um, my family with me. My um, second daughter, younger daughter was born in here after I landed in here in a few months time. Uh, at the same time, I was then struggling to get a job. So <laughs> a bit of challenging time to find a, um, a house, um, get my family settled, find a job. Uh, yeah, so it was a bit of challenging time still, remember. The immigration um, process, it's a major upheaval in your life, isn't it? It's, a, it's a, quite difficult. Yes. yes, it is indeed. I mean, it's not an easy task to move your whole family to a different country who's, which is thousands of kilometers away. <laughs> so Australia is uh, a bit unique in the sense that it's far, far away from the countries like Pakistan and India. So it's, it's quite um, a very challenging, I think, thing to move your family uh, overseas. Now, you mentioned you struggled initially to find work what were you doing at the start and what did you do to change your strategy um so i was seeking some help from the friends like uh, we i think you know sajid um he was my closest connection in in australia and he was i think already in touch with yourself and he had already landed a job he had, um, I think, um, had learned, he's, he's received uh, some professional help from you as part of the insti institution I think you were part of. or That's yeah, right. Yep, yep. So, and, and some other friends as well, right? And, but um, I was getting there, it was helping, uh, but not to the extent that I would land on a job. <laughs> a couple of reasons. One was that uh, my domain was not purely technical domain, like I was not a developer, a hands-on developer, but also that, professional help is quite different to the personal help that you seek from your friends. So I, I realized it a little bit later when I was not getting my first job. So can you re remember what was it that you changed? You, you, you met me, you sought 
professional guidance, but was there anything that stood out as being significant in your change in your approach to looking for work? Yeah, like uh, the, the first thing that I had realized that it's finding a job it, it's in, in itself is a job. So you have to kind of um, develop an approach where you would sort of work from nine to five um, to hunt a job, right? And then with the right um, context, like what market you're aiming for, what's your experience, what's relevant, what's not relevant, you just can't jump yourself into um, uh, a lot of things at the same time because another uh, friend of friend of mine had mentioned that he had applied for 1500 jobs before he actually landed <laughs> on his first job. So I was quite puzzled. I was confused. I was, what's the right strategy, whether I um, do this, go for the same approach, like apply for a thousand plus sort of jobs or actually chose um, very specific um, jobs where I, where my experience and where my skills had actually matches up and target that particularly with some defined approach. So that, that, that's the, I think was the main thing in, in those early months. And I think when I got in touch with you, I had then a defined sort of a structure in terms of uh, what's the preference, whether to hit uh, directly to the company or talk to the recruiters or uh, have some coffee ketchups, build your network, all, all those type of things. But it should be structured. It should not be, I think, uh, a hodgepodge, a haphazard. I think that's where I think it helped. Yes, 1,500 jobs, you can be guaranteed that yeah. something's not working there. Yeah, you'd probably hope that uh, he would identify that a little bit earlier, but anyway. Um, so do you remember what avenue you took to get your first interview? Was it a direct approach? Did you use a recruiter? Uh, it was It was a direct application. I still remember. I think the, the one that I can recall was uh, with the TAFE, Taif Institute based in, um, in another city, not in Melbourne. Um, and then I actually had refused them uh, that since I won't, I did not want to spend money on the flights <laughs> because I was saving. I remember for my, that. Yes. I was I saving. Yeah, yeah. I was saving for um, uh, my family expenses and all that. So I called them. I told them that it's not possible for me to uh, buy tickets, et cetera. And they were ready to give me the tickets. I said, Okay, that's fine. So they had their assessment um, kind of more than half the day, like they would invite you and then you will go through a written assessment and then followed with an interview and all that. So I did that. It was a good experience. So that was the first significant, uh, my first significant memory of appearing into an interview. And did you get that job or you declined that one? I did not. I did not. Did not. <laughs> but it was you... a very good experience. Yeah. Do, do you remember roughly how many you had before you were successful in landing the job? Um, so initially with, with my solo approach, I was not getting much interviews, but later on, I think when you were uh, emphasizing the importance of um, the structured way, having some those keywords and uh, working on your communication skills and all that. So I think I had definitely two digit interviews, definitely around, 10 or 10 plus wow. before I landed yep. on a job. Yep. And and you do get better as you do more interviews. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. So initially it was um, like normally there are two or three rounds of interviews. 
for the positions I was applying for, right? So initially it was just the first level, like the first interview and then got better at it. So second level interviews. Um, so that, that's how it progressed, I think. And in the interviews that you did, what do you think is the difficult part of a job interview? I think there are there are a couple of things. Um, the first thing is that you should have absolute confidence that you you are the right person, you're the right fit for the job because of the reasons A, B, C, D. And then the second thing is uh, after that confidence to have that sort of culture fit, um, which is again a buzzword, but it's very, I think it's very um, uh, popular as well, but like it, it's important yet you don't realize that what's the culture fit, why, why do they even talk about the culture fit? But this this is, something the uh, the companies, the hiring managers, they're actually looking for because ultimately after they have the confidence that yes, you have got the skill sets, but you have whether you've got the right behaviors, the right communication skills, the right set of values, have you, can you gel in um, with other team members that they have got in their office? Um, so that's it's pretty important. And uh, a new person when he or she lands into the Australian market, they probably don't realize that a culture fit is so, so, so much important to, to, to secure your job in here. And how do you identify whether you have the cultural fit or not? So you see a job advertised, you go for the interview. What sort of things, what examples can you think, well, that's a good fit with me, I'm a good fit with them. What are we talking about there? Yeah, again, there are a couple of things. One is to do your research beforehand um, when you're applying or before you're applying for that particular role and then the second thing is you should have um, got some networking opportunities in terms of volunteering or being part of um, like going and mingling with other people who are actually working talking to them and observing what how they talk how they uh, basically um What's their approach in terms of to, to different things, whether it's um, the day-to-day sort of um, task to your job or in gen- general things in life, right? Your your um, other, other day-to-day sort of um, living habits, whether it's barbecue or traveling or sporting events or or purely work-related, if it's project management or business analysis or um, development or other domains so just i think observing and noticing like how how they're they're behaving and um, how they're approaching different things and try to approach it in the same way and try to talk to them discuss things communicate see how how do they respond whether they are <laughs> they seem that you're an alien and you're <laughs> not um, understanding what they're trying to communicate or you're actually getting there and then responding back so it, it comes with a little bit of time and with a little bit of practice and a little bit of intentional uh, effort to mingle with people and network and try to understand how, how are you going uh, right. in terms of the culture for you so you really have to immerse yourself in the culture don't you be yep. not afraid to go out and experience yep. different things and you know you can calibrate your approach the more you have interaction with different types of people yep Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Like if, if, if I'm a hiring manager and I see a person is um, skillful, but he's not 
um, is not able to communicate or not talk about those things which that team which he or she would be part of would feel comfortable like it's not they would not or she would not be participating actively then it would have a leverage on hiring process and i guess you're on the other side now having a leadership role you're looking at you know bringing people into your organizations as well and uh, you're probably thinking about what you went through in the early days when you see a new person come in, are you? You're not not uh, to that leadership level, but definitely <laughs> to to an extent that I I, I can now recommend um, people to the hiring managers. So um, I have interviewed, I think, in my previous company in a consulting organization, and I have even interviewed um, for the position of my manager. <laughs> it was an interesting bit. Wow. Uh, yeah, so 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 my my uh, the leadership team in that consulting firm had that sort of confidence on me to get me actually engaged for that director level role. <laughs> so it was an interesting experience, actually. Well, I suppose you know often people in the team are the best, really, to know yep. what the job involves, aren't they? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, definitely. So so that's when you arrived, when you you started looking for work, you applied for jobs, got interviews, and so on. Let's go back even further. What did you know about Australia before you came? Um, yeah, the cricket, since I was yeah, like every, anybody from Pakistan and India, you speak to, there are 99.9% chances that person would be interested in cricket. So well, cricket was one uh, sort of identity. The Australians are best in terms of sporting sports and sporting events and all that. Um, the other thing was... Um, I had a little bit of, I don't know why, there was an impression that they are a little bit, they have a bit of prejudice or they're biased a little bit or they're, but actually I didn't feel anything like that when I moved in, but I had that sort of uh, uh, perception in my mind. Interesting. And do you think your the, the common thread there of cricket and perhaps some other cultural things was the reason you chose Australia as your destination? Because I imagine there would be other opportunities like the UK or Canada or yeah, yeah. the so United are, States. Yeah, mainly I think um, Canada and Australia because UK and US is a little bit tough <laughs> until you have a sponsorship or something like that. Um, so among those, yeah, I probably mentioned that um, Sajid was here and, and um, there, there was actually a chain of friends of friends who actually had migrated to Australia. So Sajid was my friend, but somebody else was Sajid's friend and somebody else was Sajid's friend's friend. So there was actually a few people's chain I knew and, and some couple of people who actually had worked for my organization, they had moved before I had actually joined that organization in Pakistan. So there was a sort of um, a chain of, you can say, references. And that 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 was one of the reasons. Yeah. And that was um, to Melbourne initially? Melbourne. Yeah. So those connections was a reason you came to Melbourne. You chose the city, yes? That's right. Yep. Excellent. So thinking about what Australia was like, your impression of it from Pakistan, how did it differ when you arrived? Was it similar to what you thought or what was the difference between your expectations and reality? Um, well, the weather was harsh. <laughs> <laughs> one so thing that you're coming you're coming into a winter here right yes yes yeah mm. came into winter but even some days like when when they when when it's a sunny day but the the uh, and if you're um inside the car and you haven't turned the, the air conditioning on like 
you can actually feel the heat in winter as well right um so yeah weather patterns i think uh, was not that sure of what, what kind of weather it will be uh, so there are a few things which you actually hear about but it's different when you actually experience them right so weather is one of those things and same with other things um struggling to find the accommodation first and then of course the the job, the job finding the job uh, it was what i can say is the difference is was it was much much harder than i had actually envisaged that it would be <laughs> to land right. a job and more expensive too i presume if you feel and more expensive as well yeah yeah you you're not getting an income it's a stressful time isn't it where you're yes you're sort of eating away at your savings i guess yes yes yeah. absolutely absolutely all right so um tell us about a little bit about your your job and what you do on a daily basis well my current role is of a delivery lead or agile delivery lead um Uh, in some instances uh, it's another name of a scrum master or a senior scrum master um interestingly uh, i have my titles have been changing <laughs> across the different organizations uh, but that was like the the first initial um thing was also because i had done a lot of different things and i can now recall some conversation with yourself that i've uh, been a scheduler a business analyst maybe a technical writer a project manager what should i do should i apply all of these roles or be specific so anyhow um i have made a few transitions but um mostly i have done project management so i have been into project management roles uh and now working as a delivery lead in computer share on a daily basis my job is to keep my team motivated uh do enough planning to be able to deliver in increments short increments Uh, happens uh, fortnightly two week cycles part of a big program of work trying to transform the uh, the whole business uh, which is a multi year program of work but my job is to keep my stakeholders informed engaged uh, keep the team motivated get things done done in short sprint situations take the feedback from the stakeholders incorporate it to into next cycle of planning and keep keep delivering keep iterating and keep delivering and let's say within a team lead role or a scrum master role what what's the real challenge in that job what's the tough part um i think it it's um, related with the people because again end of the day uh, different people have different uh, skill sets different backgrounds they have different context and bringing that alignment into different type of stakeholders to achieve something to get the result to get the outcome that you need for the customers i think that's always a challenge um so and yeah. does it does it vary across industry because you've worked in uh quite a few haven't you not just finance uh, but you've worked in you know uh, government um automotive a few other areas as well is that right yeah yeah when you're part of a consulting company then you get to work in different um sectors like some one time we will be working on a project for an automotive company after 6 months you would be working for a company who's in health sector and things like that so that that's the benefit of working in consulting so how, how does that inform it's an internal role you have at the moment right you're with the company you're working on projects within that company correct yes yes it's a product based organization yeah. now so how does that compare to working for a client as a consultant it's it's being on the other side of the table actually so 
it's basically when you're part of the consulting, you're a vendor, you are actually trying to uh, engage with the client, trying to deliver it on time within the budget, um, report to them any issues, surface them, uh, highlight any risks, uh, keep them engaged, informed, uh, make sure they're happy. Uh, you have a lot of pressure when you're working on that side of the table. Um, on this side of the table, <laughs> The pressure is still there, but not a different kind of pressure. It's more of the stakeholder engagement, internal stakeholder engagement. There's people from marketing, a brand, and, um, uh, operations, and legal, and risk, and compliance, and th those. So it's a different kind, totally different uh, lens. And you get to choose, basically go and provide your input for selecting actually the vendor on the other side of the table and get that work done, part or part of the work done as part of the project from that vendor. Right. Uh, yep. And what is it you enjoy the most in your work? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, again, the people, I think the right, um, if you've got the people who, whom you can actually um, align on quickly and you can communicate well and they can understand you and you can understand them and you have a bit of alignment. So, and you have a good team where you cannot only have work, but also a bit of fun as part of the work because sure. um, yeah, we, we're not here to um, basically, um, we were, we're here to live a good life with the work balance, with work-life balance and actually uh, and at the same time do some meaningful work, right? So having that sort of environment, that's, that's something that I enjoy on a daily basis, yeah. So you mentioned people being really important, that that interaction with people, leading people, stakeholders, and so on. And when you first arrived, because your roles hadn't been deeply technical, that's correct? That's correct, yep. What advice would you have for somebody who's in that position? Because it's a little bit harder, isn't it? If you come across as a software developer or a tester or something, yep. you know your technology. It's pretty clear cut. Things don't change that much across countries. But when you're dealing with people, you have the interactions that can be quite different across culture. What, what advice would you have for somebody who's coming in looking for a managerial role without much of a deep technical foundation? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great question. Um, I, I actually know a lot of my, or many of my friends who are actually in the development side, and they were able to land on a job quite, quite quickly as compared to myself. And that the reason is because I'm not a developer. So I, um, most of my job, like 80 or 90% of my job, that pertains to good communication. So if you don't have the, those good communication skills, you're not going to land on a job quickly until you actually improve those skills and be able to uh, understand how this all works and how you're going to manage the stakeholders. If you're not good at communicating them, understanding them and, and, uh, trying to solve those problems that they want um, them to be solved. So uh, in, in my role, I think that it, that's why I realized that it's more important for me to get myself some professional help. <laughs> and that's why yeah. I was, um, I contacted you. Yeah. And what about once you're in a job, what sort of uh, formal professional development have you had, or has it been more, incidental and learn as you go or do you have formal professional development programs within your jobs 
Okay, a couple of tracks I've been following. One is that uh, I think you know that I've been part of the Project Management Institute PMI chapter. Uh, yeah, so you're so, a board director, correct? Yes, it's a volunteer position, but yes, I'm on the board. Um, so I have been part of PMI even before I moved to Australia. So I was immediately thought this is the first thing that I need to do, be part of that network. Um, and I've been continuing that volunteering uh, since 2015. Uh, when I landed in there, I was a newsletter coordinator, then I was um, uh, managing the social media, then I was um, uh, chose to go for the elections and was part of the board in 2018. And, and there was a gap in between, but then still part of the board, yeah. But that was first track. The second track it was, yes, I've been doing some certification that have also helped in terms of my confidence, um, my knowledge. Um, so that's another track that I've been uh, checking on. So I've done a couple of technical certifications as well <laughs> along okay. the way, like Microsoft Fundamentals, of course, not the advanced level, but the Microsoft Azure Fundamentals and um, AWS um, cloud practitioner. Um, is that just so you stay relevant? Some, yeah, some, some relevance. Terminologies and what the technical leads and people they're talking about. So I understand those terminologies. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I've, I've attended many um, PMI events. I, I always tell people this is probably the best professional body across all industries that I've seen. Um, and all all professions have their own professional body, but it's a really great place for networking. Uh, and for people like mm. yourself, yep. developing stakeholder management skills, it's it's really the perfect um, place to do do that sort of professional development. So that's that's really useful. Now, you don't need. Do you need PMP certification to be a member of PMI? No, you don't. You don't. You don't. Um... And you don't always have to be a project manager either. That's right. They have other, you'll have developers no, in there. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have an interest in project management, um, then definitely um, you can join. So it's not mandatory to be a project manager or be a PMP. Yeah. We can actually help you become a PMP if you want. <laughs> yep. Or we can and help you become a project manager if you want to be a PMP. Yeah, and you would recommend that if that's if that's a career path. Yes, PMP is useful. Absolutely, it's still gold standard uh, in in the construction, not only and in the defense and in, in IT and telecom, and almost all the industries. So people often ask me whether PMP or Prince Two is is use useful. What what would be your take on that question? Uh, if if you're if you're aiming to continue working in a government sector, that's where probably Prince2 is, has, has relevance. Um, like when I joined um, Department of Human Services in 2015, they had their methodology based on Prince2 and, and some other government organizations because uh, Prince2 is organization was based in UK and then Australia is very much has, of course, inheritance from UK, right? So it's a, that that side of thing, but all the private sector that they follow PMI. Thanks for joining us today, Yifran. Just before we leave, do you have any advice that you would give to somebody who is about to enter Australia or is about to start the immigration process? Um, I think um, the early you seek some professional help 
the better it would be and probably the earlier you will land on a job i think um because no matter how exceptional you are in terms of your skill set or your technical domain uh you still need to polish your communication skills and your approach in terms of how exactly you're going to apply for different roles um and especially for the people who are coming from the south asian um uh, region i think it's more important and in all the other places where english is not the first language it's it's more important to be in touch with somebody who's who can provide the professional help it will definitely definitely expedite your learning uh, onto to the new world excellent great advice here so get some guidance as early as possible preferably preferably before um you leave your country of origin because a lot can be done in preparation yeah absolutely Absolutely. And um yeah so well congratulations on on your career and the way it is flourishing so great work there and it's good to talk to you again after all these um COVID. years after yeah. covid yes exactly um what what's happening with the PMI events at the moment are they back to face to face or are they still online now we were actually organizing the hybrid events so everybody uh, who want to join online can join online and then we also had an uh, in person arrangement but that is going to change from next year i think so we will we will switch back to in person uh, events for next year great and if people want to become a member of the melbourne chapter or any chapter um there is a connection so if you're a member of let's say the sydney chapter does that can you transfer that to melbourne yes you can you can yeah so people just inquire through the website do they yes just just visit the website pmi melbourne chapter website and then um inquire and definitely someone from the board would be in contact with you great well thanks for joining us irfan um have a great day and uh keep in touch thank you thank you so much sherry and uh, have a good night obp australia provides guidance and support with job applications and approaching employers industry awareness interview coaching and language and communication you'll also be introduced to your professional peers already working in Australia so you can get the lowdown on what's happening in your industry or profession if you're looking for guidance and support to find your next job email me at terry@obpaustralia.com.au at let's talk <music>